Thanks for joining us here at Thrive Church. We're a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. For more information, go to our website, www.thrivechurch.co.za. Good morning. How's everybody? 10 o'clock, are you alive? Kicking? Kick somebody next to you? Tell them I'm kicking. Not hard. Thanks, everyone. Have a seat. I believe you had an amazing week last week with Pastor Trevor Hudson. You can see why I love him so much. Hey, such a kind guy. I think the world needs more kind people. The world's an unkind place, isn't it? So when you see somebody who's so kind like that, it's like, oh, I wish I was more like that. You know, imagine our politicians were more like that. Sheesh. Listen, never stop believing in the power of prayer. <laughs> it could happen. Ready to get into the Word this morning? Yes. Come, let's pray together. And uh, as I do so, why don't you take this moment just to connect your heart to God. Father, we came here this morning, many of us, like Amy said earlier, a little anxious, a um, little rushed maybe with the year end and all that that brings. Some of us came this morning uh, needing you to really intervene. Some of us came with heavy hearts. Some of us came encouraged. Some of us came refreshed. Some of us came full of faith. But Lord, whatever it might be, however we entered this place, we thank you that it's so good to be in your house. It's so good to be in your church. It's so good to be in your presence. Thank you that your presence changes us. It always does something for us. Being together like this always lifts our hearts, our heads. It lifts our spirits. It connects with us. Thank you for that. And we didn't just come to church this morning. God, we came because we want to connect with you meaningfully. We came because our hearts are hungry for you. Sometimes we don't know how to express that, God. Sometimes we don't even know how to put our finger on that that sense of longing within us. But this morning, we ask that you'd speak to us and meet us where we're at from your word. We ask that you'd be glorified, that your name would be lifted up, that our, our devotion to you would increase, our worship of you would be deeper and more meaningful, that our knowledge of you would broaden today. And you'd speak to us, your people, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I want to take you back to the year 605 BC this morning, a time when the world is in chaos, kind of like it is now. In fact, I wonder if there's been a time when the world hasn't been in chaos. 605 BC, and a ferocious young ruler called Nebuchadnezzar has ascended to the throne in Babylon. At the time of his ascension to the throne as king of Babylon, Egypt spotted a gap and the kingdom of Egypt thought and decided it would be a good thing to try and attack Babylon and to try and take Babylon out while they're in the midst of getting a new ruler. But they were soundly beaten. They got their butts kicked. And Nebuchadnezzar did such a thorough job of, of, of taking the Egyptian army apart, he chased them all the way back to Babylon where they'd come from. He chased them down the Sinai Peninsula and back into Egypt. And on his way back, he passed through the land of Israel and the land of Judah. He passed through, and as he did so, he saw this city called Jerusalem. 
He liked what he saw there. He saw that things had been built magnificently. He saw that it was wealthy, saw that it was blessed, saw that the temple particularly was incredible. And so what he just decided to do was to lay siege to it and he decided to, take, to, to, to attack the city and to take it captive and to take the best and brightest young minds from Jerusalem and take them into exile into Babylon. And he marched off thousands of Israeli people thousands of Jews in cuffs and chains and off they went. In and amongst us was four young men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As time passed, these men were in, inculcated or inculcated with Babylonian culture. The intention was that Nebuchadnezzar was going to take them and, and allow Babylonian culture to shape them. His plan didn't quite go as he had hoped though. Some time into this exile period, Nebuchadnezzar decrees, he, he puts a law out there that he's going to build a statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. The statue's enormous, you can see the size of it there. And the decree goes out, everybody in the kingdom is to come on a particular day and to worship this statue. Scholars aren't quite sure if the statue was of Nebuchadnezzar himself or whether it was just a statue to represent Babylonian culture and Babylonian power. Whatever it was, it was a magnificent statue and everybody was called to bow down to it. And everybody did except for some young men. Word gets back to Nebuchadnezzar that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow to the statue. And the scene where we're about to pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3 is the scene when Nebuchadnezzar hears that these three are unwilling to do this and when he begins his dialogue with them. So let's go to Daniel chapter 3 this morning, verses 13 to 18. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? If you've got triplets on the way, I recommend these names. <laughs> Shad, Mish, and Abed. Can I just call them that for short? Would that be all right? Would anybody be offended? Cool. It says, is it true that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God, with a small g, will be able to rescue you from my power. Shad, Mish, and Abed replied, Oh, Nebi. <laughs> Got to help a brother out here, right? <laughs> His names are killing me. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God, with a big G, capital G, whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we're in a series called Even If He Doesn't. We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I love their response. Even if he doesn't, we will never. There've got to be some nevers in our lives. There has to be some nevers at times in our lives where there's a never, we will never worship that. We will never 
bow down to the culture. We will never participate in state capture. It's quite a response from these three men. I want you to put yourself in their shoes. Young, in exile, no friends in power or in high places. And here they stand before the most powerful man on the planet, Nebuchadnezzar. And they are able to muster the faith and the courage and the fortitude to say, King, with all due respect, no disrespect meant. You see, they, know, they address him, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, that's the vocative. It, it's there to signify and tell us that there's deep respect in their response. We respect you, but we can never do that. I wondered to myself, what kind of faith and trust does it take to be able to respond in that fashion to that power? And more importantly, perhaps, how does one get a faith like that? Crazy, isn't it? To get the answer to that question, we have to go behind the scenes into these young men's lives and understand their lives a little deeper than what the text has told us this morning. And when we do, we'll discover how that faith was built in their lives and how that faith can be built in our lives. The kind of faith that says, even if he doesn't, I will never. You see, even if he doesn't, faith, that kind of faith is built by consistent obedience. Step after step after step of doing the right thing at every turn and every junction in our lives. You see, let's backtrack a little bit. When these men first were exiled into Babylon, the first thing that they did is they tried to get these guys to eat Babylonian food, but that food had been offered to idols and these guys were having none of it. So they said, listen guys, again, with all due respect, we, we don't want to eat your food because we honor God and we don't, we don't want to eat anything that's been offered to idols. So could you just give us vegetables and water for 10 days and let come back and see how things look and see if we look good? If we do, could you, could you just continue with that for us? And the captain of the guard said, okay, that's cool. And, and that happened and they look good. And so they just, the, so the, the first obedience was, we're not gonna, bow down to the Babylonian culture. We're not gonna eat what they eat. These were men who had deep faith, even in, in their homeland, carried with them through their exile. These were men of deep faith and deeper integrity who deeply desired to honor God. And so they would not do anything that was def like defiling to, to God or, or that would be displeasing to God. Of course, we know later on that Daniel as well, he would pray three times a day. They told him, you can't pray. Guess what he did? He carried on praying. Why? Because he was consistently obedient. These were young men who knew what it was to take the right step, singular step after singular step, that when there's a choice in front of them to do the right thing at the right time. Consistent obedience is how you build even if he doesn't faith so that you can stand in front of the king one day and say, I can't do that. It's built through consistent obedience. Beautiful fruit takes time to grow. Tall trees take decades, if not hundreds of years. Faith like that 
doesn't miraculously emerge when they're in front of a king. Faith like that has been formed and forged and fostered deeply over their lives so that when the time comes, even if he doesn't, I can never do that. Are you with me? It's a, I remember one of my favorite things to do growing up. I grew up in Cape Town and my grandfather would take us to the cricket at Newlands on this, the New Year's test match when it started. It was always a Boxing Day test match in Durban and then into the New Year, the Cape Town test match. And we would always go and sit in the same place. We would always go and sit in this beautiful section of Newlands Stadium called the Oaks. Beautiful oak trees where you could just sit, sit under them uh, on these grass embankments. And we would sit there year after year after year. It was like our thing, you know. And one year he said to me, Byron, I want you to enjoy our time under the oaks because there's every prospect that this time next year when we come back, the oaks won't be here anymore. They're wanting to change up the look of the stadium. They want to pull these oaks out and put these fancy chairs and increase the seating of the, of the stadium. And so the oaks might not be here. And I remember looking up at these oaks and thinking, this must have taken years to grow. I said to him, Granddad, when were these oaks built? He said, like a few years after Jan van Ribbeck arrived. I mean, that's old. <laughs> you know, the, thing, the point is this, beautiful things take time to grow. I look at their lives and I realize that even if he doesn't, faith is built by reminding ourselves of the faithfulness of God. You see, again, let's go behind the scenes of their lives. Let's understand a little bit more about these men. When they first arrived in Babylon, they refused the food. Guess what happened? They got favor with the captain of the prison guard or the captain of the guard. He said, okay, guys, look, I'm not going to execute you because that's normally what we would do to anybody who disobeys instructions. You can try your vegetable diet and if it works, all good. They got favor with the captain of the guard. A little bit later on, Daniel, their friend, is, he's offered the opportunity to interpret the king's dream. Favor with Nebuchadnezzar. These men had seen, though they were in exile, they had looked back and seen, God's been faithful to us. He's kept us. Even though we've said no at times, he's, he's looked after us. We've got faith that God can rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we will never. They had that kind of faith. You know, God did something exceedingly important and he, he did it because it was a model for us. When Israel came out of Egypt and came in, and had finished their wandering in the desert and now they were ready to occupy the promised land that God had for them, God asked them to do something very significant. He said, guys, I, I want you to go into the Jordan River that I've just parted for you. As a nation, you've just walked through the Jordan River. I want you to go to the middle of it and I want you to take some stones from the riverbed and I want you to pick those up and bring them across to the other side of the Jordan River and I want you to set up an altar. I want you to set it up and put the stones upon each other, 12 stones upon each other to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Why? Because I want you one day to tell your people this statue, this thing of stones, this memorial reminds us that God brought us through a river he parted it. He put a, a dry ground for us where there should be no dry ground. He's been faithful to us as a nation. I wonder if there are any stones that you could look at in your life and look back and say, 
God has been faithful to me. He has been good to me. He's done something for me. You see, that builds our faith, that strengthens our faith so that when we stand in front of a Nebuchadnezzar, when we get asked to crook the books, when we get told, listen, you're, you're gonna get retrenched unless you do this, we can stand and say, well, God has been good to me then. He will be good to me now and he will be good to me in the future. He's able to deliver me. So even if he doesn't, I will never. And even if he doesn't heal my child, I remember he's been faithful to me. And even if he doesn't deliver my spouse from that addiction, he's been faithful to me. Even if he doesn't allow us to conceive, he has been faithful. Even if that marriage partner doesn't show up, he's still faithful. I looked at these young men's lives and I realized that even if he doesn't faith, that kind of faith is built on the character of God, not just the power of God. It's built with a deep trust in the character of God. Watch their response. Nebuchadnezzar says, guys, you've got one last chance. Bow down or you're fried, literally. <laughs> they go, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, respectfully. Our God is able, that speaks to trust in the power of God. But even if he doesn't, that speaks to trust in the character of God. Even if he doesn't, it's okay. Because we trust our God so much that the flames of the furnace are better than the flames of compromise. We trust our God. Church, in our lives, you know you're maturing as a follower of Jesus when you have not only a faith in the power of God, He can do it, right? But we, we sometimes camp there and we live in the land of He can do it. What I'm pushing us into through this series and I'm asking you to think about is, well, what happens if he doesn't? Can he still be good? And therefore, the we trust not only in the power of God, but we trust in the character of God. That even if he doesn't give you what you want, can he still be good? These men believed so. I see this all the time with my little guy, Caleb. He's five now. And he'll come up and he'll ask for things all, pretty much all the time. Some of it's good for him, some of it's bad for him. The stuff that's good for him, he gets. And I, I have joy in giving it to him. And so he's come to believe in the power of his dad. He believes this dad can give him cool stuff. And I do. And so he's come to believe in the power of his dad. But part of his maturing process is that he learned now to believe in the character of his dad as well. So when I say no to him, the crocodile tears, oh, life has ended. You know, Jesus may as well just come because there's no worth like the tears for. And at that time, I have to come down to his level. And I have to spend some time 
convincing him and reminding him and teaching him about the character of his dad. There's a reason I can't give that to you, my boy. There's a reason why dad can't give that to you now because it's, it's not good for you. And we know we're maturing when we can say, God, I believe in the power of you. And I'm also willing to remind myself that your character is good. Even if he doesn't, faith is built on principles and not results. Principles, not results. These guys had a choice. Hey, do we go with the principle or do we go with a good result? The principle is you don't bow down. If you worship God, you don't bow to any statue. But the result is, well, then you're going to fry. The devil's only got one strategy. Church, did you know that? He actually only has one strategy. He's not a very complicated guy. He's slippery and a bit slick at times. But he only really has one strategy. It's called shortcut. If he can get you and I to make a shortcut, he's in business. Watch what he does to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God says, anything you want, you can just hang away, stay away from that tree. He goes, oh, did God really say? He says, if you, if you will just follow me to this tree and eat of the fruit of this tree, then you can have the result you want. In other words, if you'll compromise the principle, you can get the result you want. You can be like God. And they fell for it. It was Eve, obviously. Remember that. <laughs> a dodgy woman and a weak man. It's a recipe for disaster. Yes? If you're a dodgy woman or a weak man, it's a, it's a recipe for disaster. He tries again with Jesus. Jesus was on the brink of his ministry, on the brink of it. What does the devil do? Try, gets him to tempt him for 40 days in the desert. What does he do? He says, hey, I can give you a result that I know you'll like. Don't worry about the, the commandment. You should worship the Lord your God and, and him only. Don't worry about that. If you will, if you'll worship me, I'll give you the result of all the kingdoms. And guess what? The shortcut is you don't have to go to the cross for the kingdom. You can just get the kingdom now. Are you with me? If you know it, you can spot it when he works like that in your life. You can spot the shortcut. It's easy to see once you're aware of it. And so these guys are faced now. Principle or result. And even if he doesn't, faith is built on the eternal, not the temporary. These guys decided... We're not going to take a short-term view. We're going to go for long-term gain. They said, we're not going to take the short-term out. We're going to keep our eyes on the eternal prize. In short, these guys chose their flames. They could either have the flames of the furnace, which are temporary, or they could opt for the flames of hell, which is linked to compromise. You can choose your flames. Don't think that one compromise doesn't lead down a slippery slope. 
Don't think cooking the books doesn't, doesn't take you down a slope where you don't want to end up. Don't think marrying that dodgy guy is going to fix itself when you're married. Flames of compromise are much worse than the flames of the temporary furnace. They pick their flames. They pick their flames. I got this letter from somebody in our congregation this week. I want to read it to you if I can. Obviously, I won't give any names or anything like that away. But uh, this was so encouraging to me. She writes off and she says, hi, I have this weird and wonderful job. <laughs> Who here has a weird and wonderful job? Okay. Who here just has a weird job? <laughs> she says, my job's to get stock for a car dealership. This sometimes, she says in brackets, actually more like most times is hard. It's impossible and just uncomfortable. Then after I get the stock, I get a, a small commission on it. Then what happens is that car is to get sold by salesmen. And then I rely on the sales team to sell it. And if they do, I get another commission amount per unit. This month, until the 24th of October, she says, I had not one unit sold. I sat in my office and complained to the Holy Spirit. She even tells me the time. I sat in my office at 7 o'clock and complained to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now, she says, my sister-in-law was doing my taxes. And on the 24th of October at 10 o'clock, she called me telling me that I would need to pay more money into SARS. She said, however, if I write a letter on a company letterhead, station, company stationery, to the effect that I use a room in my house as an office, I might not have to pay that in as it's deductible. It's not true, but it's deductible. Ish. So I agreed. She says, because I do not like to pay tax, and paying an extra, well, that just really upsets me. So I agreed. But when I opened the mail from my sister, I had this full stop in my spirit. I didn't even read the mail. I grabbed my phone and WhatsApped her, telling her that my God had said no. He said, I cannot expect him to bless me if I do this. So I told her she should just let me know how much I must pay to SARS. Well, she says, I still don't know how much so I was once, but after 10 minutes, after my WhatsApp, I got a sold car. And by lunchtime of that day, I had four units sold. And although I did get some more stock in by the Saturday, that's two days later, I had the very best figures for the year of 2018 out of anybody. How cool is that? She says, God, you only want my faithfulness in everything. I love this, even if it's uncomfortable. Even if it goes against my human desires. Even if it costs me money. Because that's when he gets to work. Isn't that encouraging? Like a real life example of even if he doesn't, I will never cheat my taxes. even if he doesn't faith like these young men had is built by consistent steps of obedience, doing the right thing when any and every choice comes our way. 
You don't have to look too far ahead. You've just got to say, what's the right thing in this moment? Even if he doesn't, faith is built by you and I just looking back at the faithfulness of God and saying, there's some stones in my life that God has been good to me. Even if he doesn't, faith is built more on the trust of the character of God than the power of God. Even if God chooses not to use his power to give me what I want, can I trust that he's good? Even if he doesn't, faith looks more at the principles than the results. Even if he doesn't, faith is built when we have a long-term eternal view. When we say, hey, I'm going to pick my flames. I'm going to go for the temporary flames. I'm going to keep the eternal in mind. The beautiful thing about this is that Jesus is in the story. Because he begged God on the eve of his own furnace. On the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus begged God. He said, God, if it's possible, like Pastor Trevor told us, like, if it's possible, please take this thing away from me. If it's possible, heal my spouse. If it's possible, save my job. If it's possible, take away the risk of bankruptcy. If it's possible, give me that person that I want to love for the rest of my life. If it's possible, God, if it is, but not your will. Not, not my will, your will. Their response is a beautiful foreshadow of Jesus' response. Even if God doesn't choose to take this cup away from me, I will pursue the calling that he has in my life. Even if God chooses not to give you what you want, you'll keep faith, you'll keep strong. Here's what I want you to know this morning. Even if he doesn't faith, it's a harder way to live. It's a more inconvenient way to live, but it's a beautiful way to live. It's a peaceful way to live. Because you can go to bed every night, lay your head on the pillow and say, God, I've done everything that you asked me to. God, this problem officially became yours. Because <laughs> I've done everything that you wanted me to. So this problem is no longer mine, it's yours to fix up. That income stress, when you've been honorable, when you've been integrous, when you're squeaky clean, that income stress is his stress. You with me? Because you've done what you can. Even if he doesn't faith, is a faith that says, even if he doesn't, God, I know you're at work for your glory and my good. Even if you don't, I'll trust in your character that you know what's best for me above what I feel is best for me. Even if he doesn't, I'll trust in your goodness, 
and in your provision and in your working. Even if he doesn't, and I have to walk through what I have to walk through, I know you've got me at the end of it. As Pastor Trevor Hudson said last week, guess what? When you're a Christian, the good news is that the worst thing that happened to you is not the last thing that happens to you. Because there's something ahead. This message was recorded live at Thrive Church. We hope that it inspired you to move towards Jesus. 